Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by Midnight Central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. The hymn, May God Bestow on Us His Grace, the final three lines of that stanza, and also to the nations show Christ's riches without measure, and unto God convert them. We find Jesus doing that in the gospel reading for this coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary. There in John chapter 4, an entire village of Samaritans is converted after Jesus has a conversation with one woman who didn't want to have a conversation. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Lent. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back. You wanted to begin the conversation today talking about something called the scrutinies? Yeah, so we had talked about how we've departed from Matthew for a little bit to look at John. And part of the reason is from the Roman Catholic Church. So again, the three-year lecture comes out of their revision. So these three Sundays coming up, the third, the fourth, and the fifth, feature something in their tradition called the uh, Rite of Christian Initiation, which is essentially catechesis or the end of catechesis leading towards baptism for adult converts to the faith. This was something that was undertaken in the 20th century by the Roman Catholic Church and imitated in many Protestant churches also of really emphasizing adults coming into the faith as kind of the primary focus. Now that has some concerns since we don't want to lose baptism, which is for all people, including infants. But at the same time, some have found some value in the idea that we should focus on adults, seeing as we have a largely unchristian world, again, as they kind of did in the early centuries of the church. So this is kind of restoring or revitalizing an old practice, which exists still in our baptism, right, even for babies. And that is that we ask all those questions. The most noticeable ones are, do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? You can hear in that kind of a a question to those who are seeking to become Christians, who are joining the church, 
what is the kind of passage they have from being an unbeliever and entering into the church. Uh, and it used to be the tradition that in various ways, the pastors would scrutinize, they would investigate both to the faith, to the knowledge, to the reasoning, and to the status of life of these people, uh, that they were abandoning sin and adopting the Christian faith, especially important in times where Christianity is under persecution and they could be traitors, I suppose. But in the East especially, but also in the West, there were exorcisms attached to this. Now, in particular, in the, the modern incarnation of this in the Roman Catholic, these three Sundays are, belong to the scrutinies, and the gospel readings are at least thought to be drawn from what might have been used in the past for these scrutinies. They're all three of them kind of intimate investigations of Jesus with people, where he's speaking to them, and where both Christ as the living water, Christ as the light of the world, and Christ as the resurrection and the life are revealed. So that's what we begin today in these next three Sundays. How would you kind of give us the gospel focus overview of this? Well, it's definitely Christ revealing himself to us. In the course of this passage, especially if we use the longer gospel, really he shows himself as, I've counted about five things here. The true fountain of Israel, and that's Jacob, remember, that he is the true bridegroom coming to this lady here, that he's the true temple, the place at which we should worship in spirit and truth. We'll focus a lot on that today. That he is also the true judge. He's the one who tells this woman all that she's done wrong. Uh, so there's no hiding from him, as the old colic from the Book of Common Prayer goes. All hearts are open and all deeds are known to him. But also that he is the true Savior, the one in whom we should believe, not only as a fearful judge, but as a, as a redeeming Savior. And since we're going to be in Samaritan territory, we really should see that Christ is also revealing himself, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. Connecting themes that we'll find in this coming Sunday? Well, we'll see water, certainly between the Old Testament and the Gospel reading, and testing, which fits well with those the scrutiny theme, if you're following that kind of Roman Catholic origin of this day. The true worship of God, because this is one of the big moments with the Samaritan woman where Jesus answers her question about which mountain are we supposed to be worshiping on. Well, worship ought to be much clearer now in the New Testament. We'll see Christ's great compassion. This shows up especially in our epistle reading. Uh, and then uh, probably due to the scrutinies aspect, the idea that Lent has long been a time of catechesis, a time of preparing either to enter the church through holy baptism or maybe through confirmation to be admitted to the Lord's Supper, or just for all of us, again, redoubling our efforts, fasting, almsgiving, and knowing that we are trying to beat our bodies into submission, as Paul says, and live a life of holiness and good works. We'll see the hints of spiritual warfare here, in particular, enduring suffering, something that we have both in positive and negative examples in today's readings. The intro at for the third Sunday in Lent is Psalm 84. How does it read? Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Glory be to the Father. 
So Psalm 84 is a great psalm of joy. It's a psalm that is in the courts of the temple itself, and it makes reference to parts of the temple, giving a suggestion that maybe David was watching these things happen at the temple and using them as almost an analogy for his praise of God. At least I've heard that as one theory. But what is beautiful here is this is a psalm of Israel speaking like Israelites are, knowing where they can find their Lord, present for them, willing to meet them graciously. It's in Zion. It's at his temple. And just as the sparrow can find a place to nest up there, so all those who are distressed ought to find their refuge in Christ. Now, that's going to be especially great to hint at what we'll see in our gospel reading uh, when he is going to call this Samaritan woman, who you might not expect to find uh, a resting place in God's house in the temple, but he's going to call him to himself at his true altar, and Christ Jesus is that true altar. It's going to hint at the spirit and truth, noting that the, the in the Christian heart or in the heart of an Israelite, right, the highways to Zion are always there. That's a fanciful way of saying the desire is always to come to the Lord's house to receive his blessing, to hear his word, to have his grace lavished upon us again. And maybe it's uh, interesting to me that they omitted the phrase about passing through the valley of Baca and making it a place of springs. That certainly would have fit well with the theme of living water we'll see in the gospel reading. The collect for the coming Sunday, what is it? O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is traditionally the Colic for Third Sunday in Lent, paired with kind of a whole bunch of readings kind of mashed into one. Jesus is the strong man in response to the Pharisees who are calling him Beelzebul, casting out demons by the prince of demons, the house divided, the spirit who is driven out, and then he gets seven spirits to come back, all prompted, of course, by Jesus casting out a demon. And then the thing that really seems strange is that the woman comes out and says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you, to which Jesus says, yeah, but blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's what makes blessed. It's quite a tight package, actually. And you see that reflected in this collect, I think, both the grace of God, that he's going to restore those who've fallen away, perhaps by some demonic force or simply by impenitence, that through repentance, having a house that's cleared away, and through faith in what Christ has done, uh, then they can embrace the unchangeable truth of his word that makes blessed. Actually, I think it fits pretty well with today's readings also, uh, in the sense that Christ is the one who's gone out to recall his people, not only maybe those who are just entering the church, but all people to recall them, all of his creation, back to himself, away from their sins, to reconcile us by his death for sinners, and to bring us to worship in spirit and truth. And what is spirit and truth? Where is that place? Well, it's not a place. It is wherever his word and his sacraments are being rightly preached and rightly administered. And so this is the unchangeable truth of his word is what holds Old Testament temple and New Testament church together. And that will lead us to Christ himself. The Old Testament reading, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Please read it. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. 
but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, And you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Just looking at this text, it is... uh, fascinating, right? That the people who in Exodus will make the amazing statement that they don't want God to talk to them anymore. They just want to deal with Moses. Uh, And it seems to be because they think they can push him over, right? Because he's just a man. So here he's failed them. He's led them out into the desert. It was all his idea. It's as if they've forgotten that the Lord was among them. Uh, And of course, we see the other things that happen in Exodus out by Mount Sinai, and we realize that truly they have abandoned the faith. They've fallen astray, and as our colleague said, they need to be recalled. But at the center of this is Moses providing water for them. And it's very interesting. Who's asking for this water, and who are they asking? Are they asking just Moses? Well, the Lord makes it clear, it's me. And Moses makes it clear, it's really the Lord that they're testing, not Moses. It's a small matter to offend Moses or to put him off, but to test the Lord is a much more serious thing. So we have the grumbling people in contrast with a providential Lord who takes care of everything that they need. And that's why the name of this place is called Masa and Meribah, that means bitterness and grumbling and quarreling. So those are kind of word plays in Hebrew. And then this becomes a very enigmatic moment in Israel. It's really just a foreshadowing of everything that's yet to come. All of the path of Israel throughout the wilderness and the Old Testament at large, proving, as Paul notes, that with most of them, the Lord was not pleased. It's interesting too, Moses has a couple situations like this in the Old Testament where he provides water for the people. His relationship is a little touchy with that. Sometimes there's judgment involved, but we see also that Moses himself couldn't enter the promised land because of the the, the way that he brought the water out of the rock in the last way, defying the Lord's command. All I suppose to say, Moses is leading us in the right direction, but he is not yet the Christ, not yet the Savior, the seed that was promised that we should look for for salvation. That one's still coming. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. We'll get to the assigned Psalm 95 next. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes, dedicated customer service, and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House, listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Learn and grow with us at Redeemer Lutheran Church, 7670 East Jomax Road, Scottsdale, Arizona. The gifts of Christ are received every Lord's Day in the 9 a.m. Divine Service. Confessional, Evangelical, Sacramental, Liturgical. Lutheranism the way it used to be. Lutheranism the way it can be once again. If you're in Scottsdale or in the Phoenix metro region, we'd love to have you visit. And please also visit our website, RedeemerScottsdale.org. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Lent. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, we come now to the psalm, the assigned psalm, which is the entirety of Psalm 95. I'm just going to read the last portion. I think we know, come, let us sing to the Lord, make a joyful noise. He controls everything. He's the great king above all gods, and let us worship him. He's our maker. We're his sheep. But we don't often hear the last parts. Today, if you, I'm talking to you, whoever you are, will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. And actually, the psalm even goes on farther, that the Lord, in fact, was not pleased with them, that for 40 years he despised this generation and said, you're a people who err in your hearts and you will not enter my rest. Just a note, even this text is hesitant to say the rest of it, but it would be good for us to hear it. The Venite in its use in the church as kind of the first psalm of the day on Sundays and great feasts in matins, not always during the weekdays. But that psalm was always in its entirety, that we would hear all of Psalm 95, even the not-so-nice part about judgment at the end. It's only in our American hymnals that Lutherans have had a shortened version, like we're probably familiar with from Lutheran service book. But that missing half is the pertinent part. It's the part that's discussed in Hebrews about what it means is there's a Sabbath rest that remains, but we ought to take the word of warning that Israel did not heed and that the Lord was not pleased with them in the wilderness. That's why they fell. And that's also the point here with hearing about the grumbling, hearing how they put the Lord to the test, and it did not go well with them. I couldn't have picked a better psalm. I suppose it directly references the Old Testament that we just heard. The epistle reading is from Romans 5, and it's the first eight verses. Read that for us. 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is such a beautiful text. It's beloved to Lutherans. It starts with a therefore, meaning we probably better read the rest of Romans too. But the conclusion of a big discussion on how justification is by faith is that being justified by faith gives us all of these great benefits through our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the most important for our gospel reading connection is to see that we have obtained access into this grace that we can stand in that sustains us through all of these other things that follow. And all of that is through Christ Jesus. Perfect for what Jesus says to the woman that he's looking for worshipers in spirit and truth. That is, they have access to the Father, not in any mountain, but through Christ Jesus, through faith in him and his word. Paul lays out, I mean, a beautiful progression here that we ought to notice. And just a note also, the Revised Common Lectionary, not the Roman Catholic version, but the the general Revised Common Lectionary, continues on to verse 11 that includes maybe even a little more on the same theme, speaking about how we're reconciled by his death and we're justified by his blood. Just kind of fleshing out a little more what that therefore that Paul already talked about didn't get included in this reading. But see this progression. Okay. So, We rejoice in our sufferings, not only in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice even in the sufferings we face now, whatever we must endure. Maybe that's lack of water in the wilderness, for example. Knowing that this suffering produces endurance, continuing on, and this endurance produces character, that in fact we are more well-rounded people. We are not easily tossed to and fro as it says elsewhere in the scriptures. And that produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God doesn't give up on his promises. The chief hope that we have is the hope of eternal life as Christians in Christ Jesus, that everything we have promised to us by faith, we will have, or as Psalm 95 put it, that we will enter into the Sabbath rest that is in Christ Jesus finally at the last day. These are fine words then to give, uh, for example, if you're pairing this with the idea of new catechumens coming into the church, that they would be a little prepared at least beforehand to know that they will face suffering. And think of the context in the first century, that certainly to the first couple centuries, to be a Christian, to leave your family and to join to Christ Jesus means to face suffering. We see that already promised in the New Testament. Well, it's all the more true around the world for our brethren that are suffering now, and it certainly seems to be more and more true for us as Christians. Yet we have confidence, right? To be justified by faith in Christ Jesus means we have peace, peace which this world cannot give. 
finally, I just think it's very interesting to see the way Paul lays this out, that he has this nice progression, kind of logical sequence, and yet it seems like he doubles back to the foundation of it at the end. And I think that's fantastic because that really is the high point. It's always tempting for us to kind of move on beyond justification, to maybe just talk about uh, being a good saint. And that can be our temptation here as we consider our Lenten disciplines also. But look at what he brings all of us, whether, I mean, in his context, already justified, but even for those who are entering the church and maybe are only just beginning in their faith, here's what you should know. The Lord died for us not after we demonstrated any devotion or discipline for him. He died for the unrighteous, for the ungodly, while we were still sinners. That's when he took the initiative and died for us. I mean, a very clear testimony that salvation is by grace. It's a free gift. It, it comes entirely by God's action. And thus, if, if Paul would teach us that we're justified by faith, even that faith is not an action on our part that merits the forgiveness of sins. It's simply to trust and say amen and, and to believe that promise and receive all of its benefits that he gives. So explain yourself a little more about Paul doubling back to the death for the ungodly. Well, I would put that first. I'd just say, look, you know, first, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He justified us. And in fact, he gave this promise to us to be received by faith. So now we also have received this justification subjectively, you might say, based on what he has objectively done for us, even before we believed in him or trusted in him or cared about him at all. In fact, while we were sinners and lost in hell and destined for hell, that is, he had already died for us, not waiting for us to make some first move. That's why now we have peace with God. That's why now we can stand through suffering and all that. But Paul chooses to kind of save it, to double back to it, and to go back to what is objective after he's talked about all of the wonderful subjective things and benefits that come with our justification by faith. He finally, at the end, saves the fact, what is the action of God that has been done objectively for us, the thing in which we place our trust and our faith and for which we are willing to suffer and endure and in which we will hope not to be put to shame at the last day? Well, that's not our action. That's Christ's action for us. How does the seasonal gradual fit in this coming Sunday? It fits quite well, certainly with just what we heard, that Christ has come, that he has died for us, that he is the source of our justification. He's the one in whom we trust. And so we hear about his death. And it also is pointing us, I suppose, in a way to what worshiping in spirit and truth is. It's, it's trusting in this Christ Jesus who has saved us. If you'd also like to take it as the context of Hebrews does, as a, a something to spur us on to good works and to suffering, to enduring, unlike Israel, then I think it really does fit also. So we had a negative example from Israel that they did not endure, they grumbled. By contrast, we see the great joy that Jesus has to be our Savior, how he promises to found and perfect our faith and how with that joy before him, he endured all of his suffering. So also we in our disciplines in Lent, in our afflictions in life, we also endure trusting in Christ Jesus and seeing him as our example. Your link to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. 
LCMS Worship has produced a free coloring book to help children follow along during the Easter Vigil. This new resource brings each prophecy and liturgical element to life in elegant line art with commentary and a guide for each picture to help you talk together with your family about the scriptures and the service. You can download this Easter Vigil coloring book for free at lcms.org worship, lcms.org worship. We will be going to the verse and the gospel reading in John 4 next. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Things Above, that's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the Golden, Wake Awake for Night is Flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry lcms.org slash deaconess. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org slash conference. Lutherans for Life equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life, lutheransforlife.org. With the war on chocolate that's been happening around us lately, it's time to change up our Easter gift-giving, and Ad Crusom has a solution. We have hundreds of beautiful wares to enhance your and your loved one's devotions. See our prayer beads, icons, wooden plaques, incense burners, and of course, our beautiful new chancel culture mugs and swag. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Sacramental. Historical. Liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel. And there's a reason for that. Issues Etc. guest, Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love coming together in worship. It's one of the things that gives us great joy, joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology. Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu.
Stanza two of the hymn, May God Bestow on Us His Grace. The hymn of the day for this coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Lent. We're looking forward to that Sunday with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You mentioned before, uh, a little bit ago, the verse and how it leads us nicely into the gospel. What is it? The verse is super simple. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It's the words of Jesus from the gospel we're about to hear. And what might be just worth noticing is uh, in a unique way, this verse is actually commenting on what's going on right now in our worship service, which isn't exactly the point, but it certainly is worth our noticing as we kind of shift our thoughts toward what true worship really is. Well, it's what we're about to do. It's We're about to hear the gospel of Christ Jesus. We're about to receive his promises and hear about what he has done for us. He's going to call and seek us out as he did to this woman at the well and to believe him, to trust in him, to expect every good from him. That is actually what true worship is. That's to be rooted in his spirit and in his truth. So the hour is coming, actually. It's here for us now. That brings us to the gospel reading. It's John 4, verses 5 through 42. Let's begin by reading it. We have a couple selections, by the way. Just so you know, the RCL gives that whole section. Lutheran Service Book has some options, including just to go short to 26. And uh, the Roman Catholic Church, their lecture has a very complicated uh, set of readings. And the reason is this is like lots of things in John. There's a couple storylines going on simultaneously. We want to zoom in on this Samaritan woman. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is too deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give him will be him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw any more. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You could end there, or you could go on. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled at that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And we skip a little bit to the rest of her story. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So that when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. There's our gospel reading. How would you begin a discussion of that gospel reading? It's very rich. I mean, in the fact that we have the setting and we have Jacob mentioned, and even the Samaritan seems to be hinting at her knowledge of history, all of it really kind of draws our attention to this moment as being pretty darn significant. And obviously, John has taken a long time and the Holy Spirit by his mouth uh, to tell us about it. But in particular, that this woman seems to want to know Jesus better. She is brought along by his line of questioning to understand more. And in fact, even when she hears him preach the law to her and reveal something not so nice, she doesn't run away. In fact, she believes all the more, uh, which is all a marvelous example for us. And God grant that the Holy Spirit, by the word of Jesus, would bring us to this same sort of faith that she and her fellow Samaritans have. So, okay, Samaritans are the people from the northern kingdom of Israel. They're kind of half-bloods, maybe you'd say. They're mingled in with the foreign peoples. They don't worship in the uh, the orthodox way, I suppose, as you hear in their exchange, uh, because they have another high place that they're still worshiping at. Again, you got to read practically the whole Old Testament to see how common this was. And they don't, I, I believe they don't have all of the books of the Old Testament. They certainly would have Moses. They'd know about Jacob and Joseph. You can see they're still kind of hanging around the well of Israel, but maybe not drinking quite as deeply as they ought. On the other hand, we see that she is willing to listen to Jesus. So even what she has drunk from the scriptures, she's actually put to good use, unlike, say, the Pharisees who know the whole scriptures in and out and yet don't seem to, to come to the conclusion about who they're speaking about, Jesus. They get into this exchange and uh, Jesus starts it off by hinting, right? Boy, if you knew who I was, you'd act like John the Baptist. You'd say, you know what? I actually need you to baptize me. I actually need you to give me water, not the other way around. But we see through the water discussion that she hasn't quite grasped it yet. She's looking for water that is literal for this life, that will satisfy her needs, that will keep her from taking a walk. And uh, many have observed that it's strange that she should be coming from at the middle of the day, so maybe there's something, maybe she has a reputation in the town. But Jesus makes it clear that the water he's speaking of is eternal 
life-giving water. It's even water that reproduces and bears us up to eternal life, which ought to be our hint that it's something much greater. It's the water of life that only Jesus can give. It's faith, it's salvation, it's everything, every blessing that justification in Christ for the sake of his death gives. The middle part is certainly the law, this exchange where Jesus reveals his divine knowledge. He doesn't always or fully use it, but here he does. He sees right into the heart of man. He knows her whole backstory. And uh, he, I don't know if this is gentle or if this is stinging, but he certainly in a roundabout way lets her know that he knows everything she has done wrong. He knows maybe why she's here in the middle of the day, kind of slinking around at the inopportune time. And she, much like the woman from Zarephath, recognizes the voice of a prophet in that accusation. What else do they say but repent, return to the Lord your God? Okay, I get it. Tell me then where I ought to be doing my worship. Where ought to I, I seek forgiveness or an atonement for this? How could I be reconciled, perhaps? All that's behind your question of where we should worship. I doubt it's just a theological quibble. But in any case, Jesus says something that Paul himself echoes in Romans. Our fathers, we worship what we know, and you don't know what you're worshiping. Salvation is from the Jews, therefore you would need to listen to me. Very similar to what he said to Nicodemus last week too. You're the teacher of Israel and you don't know this. Well, we, that is the council of the Holy Trinity, as well as Christ and his followers, we know what we're worshiping. And so you need to learn from us. But here's where Jesus changes it. Here's where we really see the new in the New Testament. That the hour is coming when it's not going to be a matter of whose temple is true, which mountain is important. It's not going to even be about the temple at all. In fact, we'll see that by the time we get to the end. Jesus has preached many times in John that he's going to tear down this temple and in three days rebuild it. And he's not even talking about the temple in Jerusalem anymore. He's talking about his own body because this now has become the center of worship, Christ in the flesh. And then we get that very famous phrase that was the verse for the day. I think it's worth probably taking a little time to talk about the spirit and truth. We'll do that just on the other side of the break, talking about Jesus and the Samaritan woman discussing worship at the well. Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by Midnight Central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred Music for the Season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org Grace, Faith, 
Scripture and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Have you heard of the nuns? I'm not talking about Roman Catholic women who wear habits. Rather, I'm talking about those who mark none on religious preference surveys. It is the fastest growing religious group in the United States, and it's something we need to pay attention to. The March issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question regarding where they come from, what they believe, and how we can point them to Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of their sins. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilgen. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Lent. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, is our guest. Sean, you said before the break that you wanted to talk more about worship in spirit and truth. So uh, I think I know how I've heard this most. Some have said spirit and truth, the emphasis here is do whatever you want, right? So, So the Lord is putting away all sorts of traditions, whether that's the Geras, uh, you know, the Samaritan tradition on Mount Gerizim, or whether that's the Jewish tradition, worship in Jerusalem with, I mean, read the book of Leviticus, there's lots of rules. But we're talking about spirit and truth, and if that doesn't sound free and uh, free form, I don't know what would. I think it'd be much more important for us to remember what is truth, and we don't even have to leave the book of John to find that answer. And then what is the Holy Spirit for? So we even heard last week, the Spirit, we might not actually have much control over the Spirit. It blows in ways and from places that we don't know, but we recognize its sound. And the Holy Spirit is at work in the Word of God. It's his greatest seller, in fact. His greatest work was to cause the Holy Scriptures to be written. Holy men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We started We started off right before Lent with the transfiguration and those very words from Peter. So also, when we get to the Lord's high priestly prayer in John 17, he says so clearly, I wish that they would be one, that they would be united in my truth. Sanctify them in the truth, Lord. Your word is truth. So all to say then, what does this phrase, worship in spirit and truth, means? It means to be worshiping God according to the words that he's given, according to his promises, and that they would come to the fruition, to the goal that he gives his word for. And that we've heard so clearly in the testimony of Paul from our passage in Romans, that to worship God in spirit and truth is the worship of faith that believes the promises of God, believes what Christ has done for us, the offer of the forgiveness of sins, this word of justification, to believe that, in fact, is to please God. That's what produces all the character and endurance and good works that you could ever ask for. It all must come from faith. 
And so all of that is being said here. It will no longer be about mountains. It will no longer be about the temple. It will be about the fulfillment of all of those shadows in Christ Jesus. And therefore, for everybody who comes, as you and I do, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, it comes by the word of God in the Holy Scriptures, comes by the gifts of Christ Jesus, which continue to be preached and distributed among us. Talk about the the emphasis here that is often laid on this text, and I think it's a, a good emphasis, that this is Jesus at many points in his ministry bringing salvation to Gentiles, or in this case, a near Gentile. I love it. I mean, this happens to be my confirmation verse, so I may be sensitive to it, from Romans also, right, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile also, right? So even Jesus says this, right? Everything comes out of the Jewish people. Everything comes out of Abraham, out of Isaac, out of Jacob. You're at the well, you should know this, but it comes out of them in Jesus Christ, He is, again, as he's done it many other times in Matthew's gospel this year, revealing himself to be the true Jacob, the true Israel, Israel at its highest point, Israel truthfully, the faithful Israelite, who is not grumbling, but is is gladly receiving all the Father's word. And that means that in Christ Jesus now, it is for all people. To worship in spirit and truth is to hear the Holy Scriptures, hear the promises of God, not apart from Jesus Christ, but specifically in and through him. And I think we see that in her missionary spirit, if we can call it that. She goes back and tells everybody, wow, it's amazing. And I'll tell you, that wouldn't be the part that I would remember. I mean, the good part must be the forgiveness of sins, the worshiping in spirit and truth, the fact that he's the Messiah. She goes back and says, this guy told me everything that I had ever done. I think referring to her sin of having these five husbands or these five pseudo-husbands. And yet with that is also the forgiveness of sins. She doesn't go as one who is caught in her sins and says, oh no, he caught me, he found me. Uh, No, he found me to love me. He found me to show compassion on me, to welcome me, to invite me in, as Jesus does so often when he eats with tax collectors and sinners, not to condone their sin, but to forgive it to welcome them into a new life, a living water that wells up to eternal life. And so the others hear her testimony of Jesus. They go to seek Jesus, and they want to hear that word themselves. And I think it's no small matter that they call him not just the the Lord, not just the Messiah, not just the Christ, but they add this important synonym to it. He is indeed the Savior and the Savior, not just of the Jews or the Samaritans, but of the world, everybody. So this is the full-blown gospel and the mission of the church begun in Jesus Christ. This is what the church is doing now. Yes, and it is then to a certain degree, at least, what worship is. Now, maybe our worship is probably patterned for the faithful, because that is what pleases God, is faith that receives his gift, faith that is justified. But to bring people to Christ Jesus is finally to bring them into the church, to bring them into the divine service, to bring them into this living water so that they can drink and drink and drink, and so that it will remain all the way to eternal life. Therefore, when we insist that worship is preaching, is administering the sacraments, is hearing the word of God read, is, in a word, forgiving sins, and bringing people into that life of repentance and the forgiveness of sins, This is the reason why we all gather so often 
at what we call church, at the divine service, to hear preaching and all these things. This is the central work of the church. And every time God's word is going out or we're bringing people to it, we are leading them to this worship in spirit and truth. That doesn't happen on any particular mountain, but it does happen in particular places near us in our congregations. Let's talk for a few minutes about the hymn of the day, May God Bestow on Us His Grace and Favor. I love this hymn. It's a new psalm, I guess, brought into the mix. This is based on Psalm 67, and it's a hymn that Martin Luther wrote. The tune is a little challenging. There's a, there's another tune offered. Maybe you'll find it easier, although I think this is such a beautiful soaring melody in Luther's original. This is one of those I think it's worth doing the hard work to learn. And look at how Luther imitates the psalm, but he casts it absolutely in a missionary light that the Lord gives the blessing, that he is going to show his blessings even in us who believe his word, who trust it, who are growing in faith, who are enduring much suffering and blossoming in many good works, that this will be a testimony also to the rest of the nations, that they would be converted to God also, that they would see Christ's riches all of the richness that we saw in Romans 5, and that they also would come to hear his word for themselves as the Samaritans do. We have praise then resounding in all the world, that the Lord, in fact, will rule over his people, that he will tend to them, that he will keep them always. And then the final stanza, it's a call to the whole world, that they also would join us in praise. And we have a Trinitarian uh, stanza. We have this notion of a solemn awe, which doesn't mean a sad, gloomy awe, but means quite joyfully that we would delight in what the Spirit is speaking, that we would delight in his word, that we wouldn't be grumbling anymore like in the Old Testament reading, but that we would also be delighting and find the joy that Christ has found that with which he set himself to his cross, the joy of our salvation in him. And many people have noted this, so I'll just take the moment to say there's no need to sing any amens at the end of this hymn because Luther wrote it right in there. Now let our hearts say amen. There we say it. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thanks. My pleasure. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss lawful lethal force and the Fifth Commandment with Dr. Joel Bierman, and we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Peter Bender about Jesus' warning of the return of an unclean spirit in Luke chapter 11. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. 
Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org.